0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Varied Voices in STEM. My name is M. Stacy, and I am one of the co-hosts for this podcast, along with Dr. Erica Tracy, Rora Dungo, and Charlize Williams. The aim of this podcast is to catalog the diverse journeys of individuals in STEM career paths and capture their perspectives of people with a variety of jobs and experience levels in science, technology, engineering, and math. This project is provided by the Neuroscience Institute Committee on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Georgia State University in Atlanta, under the leadership of Dr. Erica Tracy. We give special thanks to our Center for the Advancement of Students and Alumni at Georgia State and the Maximizing Access to Research Careers grant from the National Institutes of Health for funding activities related to this podcast. How's it going, listeners? Welcome back to Very Voices in STEM. Sit back and relax while we take a dive into the brightest minds around. Today, we'll feature Chishiba Kanta and Dina Yakut. We'll begin with Chishiba, who is a former Georgia State University student studying civil engineering and hydrology. She'll provide insight on her transition from Zambia to the United States for college, how she was steered towards civil engineering, and finally, we'll touch on her passion for helping others find their voice.
1: My name is Chishiba Kanta. I am a former student at Georgia State University. I am currently an alum and I am studying civil engineering and I hope to transfer to KSU or Georgia Tech in the near future, hopefully at the beginning of next year or sometime in the summer. When I was a child, I was everywhere. I wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, model at some point, I just wanted to be anything. So it wasn't until I was in the eighth grade when my homeroom teacher took yeah. us on a field trip to an engineering company in my country where my grandfather worked at a very long time ago. But she took us there, and right now it's very much female driven. It's female leaded, and the executive director there is now female. So it's very different compared to what it was, you know, 40 plus years ago. My homeroom teacher took us there. The purpose of that was for her to just allow us to learn and see the different facets of what it's like to have an engineering degree or to have a computer science degree. So we went on the field trip and we met so many different types of women, very powerful, very strong, with very strong ideas about femininity and so many things. And for me, that was just a very eye-opening experience. I asked myself, would I want to be this impactful to someone who's young, someone who's of my color? And my answer was yes. So from there on, I just wanted to be in that career. It sparked the interest. And for me, I think that's all it took, the interest I just started, you know, doing more research about, you know, civil engineering and what it's about, what it entails, racial disparities that occur in having such a career, just everything. I would want to say the rest is history because honestly, the rest is history. From that day on, I never really looked back. I said, I want to become an engineer. A lot of people still continue to play very big roles in my life today. But if I had to pinpoint it and narrow it down, I would definitely say my father and my mother brought interesting dynamics to my... They bring different dynamics to my personality that have helped me become the person that I am today. So for my mother, she's very strong-minded. She's very strong-willed. She, she knows what she wants. She's a power woman. She's a feminist like I am. And... She always strives for excellence and she always wants the best for women. Always. Uh, she was a judge back home in my country, so she dealt with like a lot of cases that had to do with you know making decisions, life-changing decisions for people in their everyday lives. So her career, her character, and the type of person who she was were all very important things that she, like, taught us or, like, passed on. She has so many beliefs, so many attributes of herself that she always wanted to pass over to us and for us to learn. The most important thing that my mom taught me was that you have to be your own person. Be you, be unique. Everyone is different, and that's what makes you unique already. You don't have to do anything extra. Just you being you is very important. But me being the way I am should help somebody else should allow me to teach someone else just like the way she taught me. She was very big on making an impact in other people's lives. And I think that's something that I've taken upon to this day. It's the reason why I want to be in the career that I'm in is to make an impact in another person's life. My dad, on the other hand, was more calm. He was calmer than my mom. I say that in a joking way, of course, but he is definitely more quiet. He makes some very steady decisions. He takes his time with everything. He does it with such a very calm demeanor. So where my mom comes with a strong minded nature, my dad comes in with a very calm demeanor. So he taught me to just take my time with doing everything. Always take your time. Always make sure you're level headed when making decisions. So he just taught me some very important things too. But My parents have definitely played a very, very important role in me becoming the way I am today. I listened to this song that talks about how we need to be, like, how we strive to be better than our parents, but all that we can do is just try. So I think I'm trying to just get to a level where I'm able to just be that person. I moved to the U.S. when I was 16 and I vividly remember I was by myself trying to figure out which university I was going to come to in the U.S. So I applied to so many different schools, most of which rejected me because Ivy League schools are apparently hard to get into. But Georgia State gave me the best offer that they could, and they offered me a scholarship. So that's how I came to the U.S. And for the most part, it was nowhere close to seamless or perfect or great. I was excited, and I think the excitement to start a new journey and to come to a different country was a driving factor in taking the fear away because I was definitely afraid. I was coming to a whole different continent, which I've never been to in my life. And I was going to be in Georgia by myself once again. So all those factors together can ignite fear. But my excitement was enough. So Dr. Gibson, who is the Learning and Tutoring Center advisor and supervisor, and she's also in charge of the graduate students at Georgia State, Perimeter College had taken me to a Rotary Club meeting one time. And what Rotary is, is a group of people who are very like-minded in their professions and we like to meet and interact and learn about what each other do in their careers. They usually meet, you know, in a room on a Friday morning or afternoon and they discuss, they have meetings. So she took me to one of those meetings. I got the opportunity to meet Brian King was a civil engineer and a land developer. So when I had an interaction with him and we had talked a little bit about my career and my interests, he had asked me, why don't you consider hydrology considering the fact that there's a high demand for it now? It's very much related to civil engineering and it's something that we are very much looking into right now. So this kind of stems from research. They do all the research and they're out in the field every day. And this is someone who knows, you know, what he's talking about in regards to my career or his career, because that's his career. And then he gave me the idea and said, you need to look into this because we really need people who know what they're talking about when it comes to hydrology and water in the land. So... From there on, I said, OK, I will look into that. And he was definitely right about it, because if you think about it, for your structures to stand up straight, for them to be the way they are, the soil, the ground on which it stands up, one has to be healthy. So if you study hydrology, you will delve into a lot of things about the ground. I just was interested in it, too, and I said, let's go for it. And from there on, I just started looking more into it. We kind of make a joke sometimes because, you know, it's a fan fact. like, my name means water. So he always plays on that. He says, your name means water. Study hydrology too. Like, how many more signs do you need? I was like, okay. Trying to wrap around the term fulfilled because a lot of the things that I've done have not made me feel fulfilled. They have certainly made my parents feel fulfilled. But for me, I was just one. I just strive for more. There's so much more that I can do. And that's just how I feel about everything that I've accomplished. I'm like, there's more I can do. There's more I can do. There's more I can do. I remember in high school, I received an award in biology. I was like a high-achieving student. And they awarded me in biology. And I looked at that award and I was like, hmm, okay. This is okay. This is great. My mom was over the roof she was happy and excited and you know laughing and everything and I just thought it was okay because that's just how I have felt about I think almost every accomplishment that I've had I think okay we can definitely do more we can definitely strive for more I'm not the type of person who likes to get comfortable around a certain thing. So if I am able to accomplish something, I want to be able to do the next thing even better than I did this one. In that way, I stay on my toes. I just don't get comfortable and just sit. And I don't think personally I've had accomplishments which I think have made me feel fulfilled. I have had accomplishments, but none that have gotten me to feel that way. What can I do next to be able to help this person, or to be able to do this, or to be able to achieve that? I was in STEM club for so long, and I was always wanting to see what I could be able to do in order to help just someone else. And then now I'm going to a different school, so I'm thinking to myself, should we be in STEM again, or should I be in student government? Where is my voice going to be going to be heard amidst so many other people? It's just things like that that run through my mind. So even when I'm accomplishing something, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I always want to think, I'm always thinking, okay, what are we doing next? For the near future, my hope is to be able to figure out what I would want my college experience to be like when I go to a different university or what I would want you know, my college life to be like when I go. I just want to be able to live an impact in people's lives. I think that's something that's very important to me. And it doesn't have to be something significant. It could be in the smallest ways possible. To me, that's what matters. Just being able to be like a neighbor's keeper, that's something we say at change. So just being that person who is able to do something for other people or someone else at school would be super amazing for me. I think in the near future I definitely want to dive more into my career and gain more experience so I definitely am looking to get more internship opportunities that can allow me to work in a civil engineering field as well as hydrology because that's something I really, really am interested in learning about and then in the near future, my hope is to also work with like more student organizations, because I think there's so many students who are in different universities that don't really have a voice to speak their minds. So I just want to work with like the university that I'm gonna go to, with bringing those voices out or bringing those people to light, so that they can you know have a conversation or have a platform. That's something I've been thinking about just from my experience with interacting with different people at Georgia State. I just want people to be able to just have something to say because I know college is hard. You know, whenever in an environment with so many people of different personalities and different cultures, it's going to be hard. I definitely want something that's kind of related to, like, TRIO and that student success at Georgia State. Their aim is to ensure, you know, students are able to get through a semester by doing as many activities as they can in a group of like-minded people. So I really want to do something like TRIO, except for me, my version of student success is ensuring that, you know, students are able to interact with each other in a space where they feel most comfortable. I think that's something that can breed success. You know, we go through so many things as people, as immigrants coming to the U.S., as just, you know, someone who's really trying to make a career, who's trying to work, who's trying to do so many things in their life. You have to think about... Mentally, physically, emotionally, everything combined. Some of the hardships I've faced have a lot to do with managing time, managing everything that I have to do. I have a family back home, so I have to think about them as well. They have things that they're going through, and it's important for me to also consider how much time do I have to put myself into this 100%. How much time do I have to study and get the grades that I want in my class? How much time do I have to be with my friends and have a great time and just enjoy being around them? So I think a lot of the times it has to do with time. How much time do I have to give to everything in my life? From that then stems procrastination academically because whenever I give too much time to other things, like my job or my family, I tend to spend less time doing some other things that are also very important. So I think one very great hardship that I've faced here is just time allocation. With time, I don't think there's any set or defined way to solve having a lot to do or having being able to divide yourself equally amongst so many things that are going on in your life I think prioritizing is important you have to know what's more important than another thing but it doesn't make it not important it just makes the other thing that you've put first more important so I think prioritization is is just very key in ensuring that um, you're able to complete things or you're able to spend time doing something and you don't want to be the type of person who does 15 things in one day and a lot of those things you've done in that day you are only doing them just to complete it do something because you actually want to do it and in order for you to do that you have to put, you know, prioritize, optimization too and just knowing what's what and when to do it It makes me laugh how unproductive I can be sometimes, but a day that's very unproductive is mostly me laying in my bed contemplating why I'm being unproductive, and I think a lot of the times it just comes from being tired. I work a lot, and... I think sometimes my brain just wants to slow down for a little bit. So when it does decide to do that, then I will listen because my brain mainly affects my body. So I need my brain and my body to function well. So usually what an unproductive day would look like is just me being home, reading. I love to read, be reading something or watching something online or doing some research, trying my best to just learn what's happening in regards to my career. And if I compare that to a very productive day, very productive day has me doing quite a lot of things. Today, me being here is part of the schedule. By the end of the day, I would have felt like I had a productive day because I was able to accomplish everything that I have set out to do. To be very honest, I am still working on just trying to find a balance. It is certainly difficult. It is not impossible, though. Sometimes my academic life tends to cloud my personal life, so then I spend more time doing one thing or focusing on one end of the spectrum than the other. So for the most part, I'm still learning, and there are some really great people in my life, like my dad, who really, like, helps me, you know, he guides me through finding a balance between the two. It's very difficult, but... I just think I am doing my very best to get to a place where I feel like I'm able to balance everything in a very sane state of mind. So, as I had said earlier, my dad is very, like, calm. He has a very calm demeanor, and he takes his time to make his decisions. So, for him and in his life, he's able to just divide everything and he's able to just spend a certain amount of time doing everything that he has to get done and that's something I admire his advice to me every time I go to him and tell him about certain things that are happening in my life and academically his first thing that he always says is take a deep breath because none of these things are going to be accomplished if you're not doing it in a sane state of mind. So for him, it's just about like your sanity because if you're doing things with a level head, you will be able to accomplish so much and you'll be able to get through a lot of things that you're supposed to in a day and find a balance between what to do next and what to do this or how long to do something for. So I think for him, it's very much about your mental state of mind. You have to feel good And you have to feel healthy and you have to feel happy in order for you to accomplish the things that you have to do. That's mainly his approach. And it really does work because a lot of the times when you're unable to find a balance between your personal and academic life, it tends to cause panic and it tends to cause a level of anxiety. But then when you have someone who's able to remind you that you will be able to do this and all you have to do is just breathe, and get through your day slowly, that certainly helps. Usually I hang out with my friends. I have friends everywhere. I go to church. I have an amazing group of friends there that are just like really great to hang out with. And, you know, we talk about so many things that are going on in our lives. Most recently, my friend hosted a Friendsgiving dinner slash goodbye for me dinner, which was very lovely and yeah, I love the time to just spend time with my friends. I also take trips. I travel so much. Oh, I go to see some of my family that's in Florida. And I like to drive. So I will go anywhere, New York, Alabama, just to wind down and just have a good time and take a moment from everything that's going on. I love the mountains, so I like to go there too. And... Just spend some time out there and then come back. Just take everything a step at a time. College is hard. Life is hard. Things are crazy right now. And so many things are happening in the world. So many things are happening in people's families. And I just think taking everything a step at a time can make a very, very big difference. Try not to rush through college. I've seen so many people trying to rush through college. Don't do that. Just take your time. I think it's going to get to where you need to be if you're not rushing. And like, people don't realize, but whenever you're rushing to do anything ever in your life, it never breeds anything good. Mentally, physically, never.
0: That was Chishiba Kanta. Now we're going to hear more from Dina Yakut. Dina is a fifth-year neuroscience PhD candidate in Angela Mab's lab and a professor of the neuroscience of memory at Georgia State University. In this episode, she'll discuss her own perspectives on some of the themes Jishiba touched on, like immigration stories, family influences, and finding mentors, as well as her own love of teaching.
2: Hi, I'm Dina Yakut. I'm a fifth-year neuroscience PhD student at the Neuroscience Institute at Dr. Angela Mapp's lab. I actually started off doing something Not completely different, but different. I'm from Egypt, so we have kind of a different educational system from here. So we don't really go to college after high school. You pick what you want to do, and then you go do that. So after I was done with high school, I went to the School of Medicine, and that's seven years in Egypt. So that's what I did. That's what I always saw myself doing, just coming from a family of physicians. So that's like the family trade. <laughs> so afterwards, I graduated and then I got married and moved to the United States with my husband. The plan was still to, to pursue medicine and do that. And um, my husband was already three years ahead of me down that road. So he was starting his residency here. When I came here, I found that this is a new opportunity to do whatever I want in my life. I can basically start over if I want to and change anything. I've always had an interest in research, but it wasn't what I thought I would end up doing just because it wasn't really a feasible thing to achieve in Egypt. But when I came here, I joined the clinical research group at Emory researching Alzheimer's disease. And I just, fell in love with research then and I was preparing for my medical license exams when I decided that that's not what I wanted to do anymore <laughs> and switched gear to taking the jury instead and joined another basic science lab just to get a real life experience of what's that like and then applied to grad school and here we are five years later. So at first, they were not very thrilled that I was abandoning medicine, <laughs> but as they came to understand what I wanted to do, they were very supportive about it. My family, their physicians, my mom is a great advocate of science, my husband is a physician as well. So we all have very strong interest in science, so it's never been hard to talk to them about things I do and how, and engage their interest in that. And... It's never been hard to get their support as well and always lean on them to keep me going when I feel down or when I feel like I want to give up. So I wouldn't say I've been a great addition to the, to the like scientific interest in the family because it was already there. But if anything, I've found support in them. Well, it's different because if you want to do science in Egypt, there aren't that many things that you can do and end up doing real science. So medicine is one of those things that the institution is pretty well set up for that. And my mom was a great science advocate. And she just wanted us to do something that has to do with science more than something that's medicine per se. But it was science that she was pushing towards. Like, since we were very young, she would, like, sit us in front of TV whenever there's any interview with a famous scientist. And, like, um, I remember Zouel was an Egyptian scientist who got the Nobel Prize, I think it was in 1996. And that was, for her, (laughs) was just mind-blowing. And she wouldn't stop talking about it, like, showing us interviews with him and stories that are printed in the newspapers. And that left a huge impression on us. So it wasn't the pressure that's like, you have to be this, but like leading by example kind of thing that she made it all about that, which was, yeah, pretty defining. The thing is the education back home is memorizing based, so... You have to memorize the book and write everything the way the book exactly said it. Even the wording, you were encouraged to use the same wording of the sentences. And you were definitely discouraged from voicing any opinions and like putting a little bit of yourself there. Like, no. <laughs> so, this is something that I had to overcome when I first came here, especially if you're doing something like research that needs a lot of innovation and a lot of thinking for yourself so rather than here's the protocol follow this or here are the rules you do this, I had to get out of that and start reading for myself from where I want my research to go what's my next step, how do I approach this question a different way that took a lot of time to adjust to but I had a great mentor and she was very supportive with that and she kind of let me through this process until I finally found myself just doing it. I don't think that was what happened was adapting a U.S. person. I think it was just a reflection of The kind of change that I was mentally going through, there are certain things that I attached so much importance to. And then as time passed, I went back and reassessed some of that and didn't find that I necessarily attached the same importance to them. The change was allowing myself to act on that and to make those decisions for myself. And I've been grateful for that. For having the courage to change, a lot of people sometimes wouldn't do that because they would be scared from walking away from what they've been used to all their lives. But at the same time, you have to realize that it's not really walking away from who you are or that you're leaving a person who you will miss. It's just you're evolving as a person. And it might have happened back home as well for different reasons or, and it might have happened, but taken a different form. So I guess it's just part of growing from young adulthood into, well, let's say still young adulthood, (laughs) but another phase of young adulthood that you would just Change a lot of your ideas that you were very hot headed about in your youth, and then you will develop a more like calmer approach to it that's suitable to your current style of life, I guess. I guess it was opening up my mind and allowing myself to have an opinion about everything. So when I'm reading a paper, I allow myself to criticize it and think about what could have been done differently and what could have been done better. And I wasn't trained to do that before and I wasn't encouraged to do that before. So just practicing that was the most challenging part. But then once it happened, It became very natural that you wonder, like, how come I haven't been doing this all my life? And you start applying this to many other things in your life. And it doesn't just become something that you do when you're thinking about research in the lab, but just about your life and about a lot of concepts and things in your life generally. So I guess overcoming this barrier was the biggest challenge and the best thing at the same time. I think the advice that I would give myself is to just not subscribe wholly and fully and madly to something, believing that it could be the only thing right and fit, and just allow myself to explore that there are always other options and that other things may be also good and fine to be more open-minded and not narrow-minded and fixated on a certain set of only those ideas, trust myself to do that, that I can think outside of the mainstream and accept other ideas that are not mainstream and that that would be okay. So I think without doing that, I wouldn't have been able to do my research at all. And I would have just leaned on my mentor for coming up with the next step to do and what's the next right movement in my research and right direction. But I'm grateful that I had a mentor who wouldn't allow me to do that. She pushed me out there and she pushed me to do that myself. But without that, I would have just been always looking up for someone else to tell me what to do. And of course, I still require lots of guidance and support from my mentor, but As I've grown within the PhD, I've become more independent. And without that change in perspective, that wouldn't have been possible. I think I would have been stuck in the technical details and the how to do things in the lab more than the bigger picture and the conceptual part of the research. So, yeah, I'm grateful that things ended up working that way. The experience at Emory was interesting. I think it's unfair that it was it was my very first real exposure to American life because it's the first thing. I started with them a month after I moved to the United States. So I was just taken back by so much at the time. So it wasn't necessarily them. It was probably me. So I think I got most of my cultural shock there and just... Most of the aversive things there. <laughs> and then by the time I got to Georgia State, I was feeling a little bit more comfortable, which probably also reflected on the way people were dealing with me. Like if you're relaxed, people also be relaxed around you and there can, everyone just loosen up more. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, but I've learned a lot at Emory. I got to do um, a lot of the clinical studies. I was doing some of the patient recruitment activities for the studies. Learned a lot about that and what it really takes to decide to have someone join a study and for the, make sure they fulfill all the criteria and everything. And it was also my first lab experience, and I had a great mentor. It was a small lab, which also helped, so everyone was very hands on all the time. We were talking to each other all the time. So, yeah, I owe them a lot. I guess they took me out of my shell <laughs> yeah. my mentor was the kind of mentor who would walk in every morning and just randomly talk to you about something <clears throat> science related for a lot of time and he was also not American he was European and he was just very curious about my culture and interested in telling me about his culture as well so I felt like um, I felt like I had a friend there more than just someone I work for. The postdoc was a terrific person as well. And she we're still friends till today. We still meet up regularly. She was my support group, basically, there. She she was the person I hung out all day with. We talked about our frustrations, the things we want to do next, and things like that. So yeah, I'm I'm glad I ended up in that lab. If anything, I think like I was accepted into everything I wanted to do, even though I looked different. So it wasn't because I wanted to get things done or like accepted by people, but rather it was, as I said, it was just evolving from my younger self to an older self for just constantly changing how she views herself and how she views the world. And I again, I wouldn't say that that's so far from who I used to be 10 years ago. It just takes a different form. So I think the biggest difference was that when I was at Emory, I wasn't part of something big other than the lab. So it was up to me how much I wanted to interact with people in the other labs or in the rest of the department and things like that. But when I came to Georgia State, I was part of the PhD program. So that's a big community. You have all the students uh, from year one to year five plus and all the faculty and the staff. So that was Meeting a lot of new people at a time and it was a bit stressful, but definitely I ended up finding over time a bigger support group than the one I had at Emory, which is again mainly my lab and some good friends at the program as well. So I've been very lucky at Georgia State with who I ended up with being my mentor, um, Dr. Angela Mab. And it's not just because I'm saying this on a podcast that she might hear one day, but she is the most supportive mentor that anyone can ever dream of. And she had lots of respect for what kind of science I wanted to do, what research topics I was interested in. And she let me pursue that and worked with me to get it to align with her research interests and find something that we're both interested in working on. When I started the PhD, I had a two-year-old, now he's seven, and I have another eight-month-old. So she's been very supportive of my need to take care of my family and have a decent work-life balance. So I've never felt pressured that I have to spend a crazy number of hours in the lab at the expense of being with my kids. That became very important after COVID with all the Craviness that was happening, lockdowns, unexpected um, breaks in childcare and school closures and everything. So she never made me stress about that or that my career is jeopardized because I have to take care of my family and my life. So that was pretty amazing. She let me go with my research as far as I'm comfortable without stressing me out. It's made me in the most efficient version of me that I can be because I have to make every minute away from that count. And I have to plan for the future all the time because like, I can't slack on one day because I know that maybe I'll need to take some time off in the future if my son, for example, is sick and can go to daycare. Every day I have to get as much done as I can because... I don't have lots of control of what's happening around me so I think that's helped me with my organization skills with my efficiency and time management and most people think that like that must be an obstacle in a way like having two kids but honestly I feel like they're what keeps me going and I want to be able to tell them that all of that time away from them was worth something and meant something at the end. I've had to push myself to go for things that I wouldn't usually do. And I caught myself a lot of times like hiding behind the excuse of having my kids. Like, oh, I can't go to that because I have to take care of my kids. But then I think about it, I'm like, no, you can have someone take care of your kid and go do that. So I kind of have to push myself outside of my comfort zone to do things. And as I've done more and more of that and found that I ended up just fine, I gathered more courage to keep doing it. But I wouldn't say that I'm 100% where I I want to be. I still feel like I need to do a lot of work on myself. Like sometimes I would be teaching and then suddenly I've become very aware that English is not my first language and, and just once this idea gets to my head, I feel that it's getting to my confidence and to how I'm presenting myself. So I have to push it out and just have faith in myself that I can do this and that I can clearly communicate my ideas even if English is not my first language. So I feel like still in many areas, I would like to work more on myself and on my self-confidence. But I'm now trusting myself more that I can get to that and I can do that and become less and also have the courage to make decisions for myself and trust that I know what's best for me and I don't necessarily have to have someone like over my head telling me what I have to do all the time. I've always been interested in Alzheimer's disease and even if I had continued with my career in medicine, I would probably end up being a neurologist (laughs) and um, so... That's what I wanted to research when I moved on to neuroscience. So I'm studying tauopathies, and tauopathies are those disorders that have a problem with a protein called tau. And in those disorders you have too much of tau piling up in the brain and disrupting all of its functions. So I'm specifically interested in one protein that tau disrupts that's involved in synaptic plasticity. And I'm trying to pin down the mechanism that through which tau disrupts this protein and find out how it affects its function in the cell. So the reason I'm interested in this disease in particular is a very similar story to why people end up being interested in this disease. It's like someone dear in the family who has the disease. And in my case, it was my grandfather. And he was not just the grandfather I see, like, every holiday. He was very close to us, and we lived very close. When he got the disease, it was just astonishing how all of his memories were getting erased gradually, even like memories of us. Towards the end, he could only remember my grandmother and his son and no one else. And then he started forgetting how to walk, how to go to the bathroom. And that was all very, like reading about it in textbooks is something. And then seeing it happen to someone dear to you is something else. So I guess that's what motivated my interest in Alzheimer's disease per se. But in research generally, this is something that that's seriously lacking in Egypt. I mean, there, there is research going on, but it's not nearly enough. And unfortunately, the institutions don't have the financial means or all the tools to support big scale research. So I felt that we definitely need more Egyptian scientists out there, and especially those who would be willing to do some outreach and advocating for science back um, home, even if you don't necessarily go back home to be physically there and do it. But now there are like, so many social media outlets that you can use to talk about research. So that's what I've been trying to do just use social media to translate some of the interesting research topics that I come across, not just my research, and try to put it in a language that everyone can understand. So that's what I hope I can do, That towards the end of my PhD, that I would get to a point where I can do that fluently enough and efficiently enough to have some impact. And it's always very interesting when you're able to get across to people like that especially playing the game of translation like you're trying to translate the science into Arabic and then you're trying to also translate from Arabic into English your thoughts (laughs) so that's interesting but yeah this is something I'm definitely interested in. The kind of questions that people ask and show that they've engaged with what you wrote and that they're interested and they want to find out more or that they're asking you for links to get further information or or even to attend some of the talks that I bring up. Because in, in Georgia State, especially after COVID, many events went virtual and there was just a Zoom link and everyone was welcome to join. So... I mean, people would ask for the link and I would provide it. They don't end up necessarily attending, but at least they cared enough to get to that point where they really want to sit and listen to this. It definitely can get bigger. And I guess part of it is how much better I get in simplifying things and making them interesting and picking topics that resonate with the audience as well. So something they can relate to and they care about. Yeah, I know a lot of people who come from all different blocks of science from back home who are trying to do the same thing. And even some people who are currently um, either faculty or researchers at the universities who are trying to translate some of the work they come across and do that as well. But it's it's definitely nothing compares to the kind of outreach I see like going on at American universities and things so the hope is to step up to that level over time so I love teaching I really love teaching and I got into this PhD with the intent as I said of teaching not just in the literal sense of the word like teaching in a classroom but also teaching as in outreach like teaching science to the community whenever it gets frustrating I just keep myself going by telling myself that when I'm done, I'll be a lot closer to what I want to do. As I keep moving, I just keep getting closer to that. So I guess it's just the light at the end of the tunnel. Not that the PhD was the tunnel, but (laughs) it has the moments where it can feel like you're in a tunnel. So yeah, you have to remind yourself why you're doing this in the first place and what you're going to get out of it at the end to keep yourself moving research is wonderful but as I was doing the research I realized that my favorite part about it was learning about new things and I maybe wasn't completely prepared to uh, what it means to be doing the research yourself the amount of frustration that can come with that you can spend months in a lab working on an experiment and then it doesn't work or the protocol needs to be fixed and and you're trying to find out what's wrong with the protocol and you're troubleshooting every step of it. And it can be very emotionally exhausting to keep doing that for a long time. And I found that this aspect of research is not maybe my strong point. And I need to stick to to the parts that I enjoy to learning about new things, discovering new things, and telling people about all of these wonderful things I've just learned about. And teaching is a wonderful place to do that. I guess when, as things stand now, this is what I see myself doing. Definitely the best days are when an experiment works, and the days that I wouldn't ever forget are the days that I found a new interesting finding in my research, that put me a step forward towards answering the question that I'm pursuing, those are the best days. Those are the days when it feels that all those hours of frustrated search for how to fix this protocol, it makes it all count and it makes it all worth it. Also, definitely, whenever I'm teaching and I get um, good feedback from the students, I feel like I've made it. Even if the feedback is in the form of interest during the lecture to ask questions that show that they're thinking about this and they're engaging with it I feel that I've succeeded in getting across to them so yeah things like that they you keep collecting them as you go and they keep you going I'm currently teaching this semester the neuroscience of memory for the undergrad majors. And it was, it's amazing. It's just confirmed how this is what I want to do. And this is what I see myself doing in the future. So yeah, this is, I see myself doing what I'm doing now in this class in the future, but hopefully I improve and I get better.
0: That's all for today. Thanks for listening. This has been Varied Voices in STEM. I'm Dr. Erica Tracy. I'm Charlize Williams.
1: My name is Rora Dongo.
0: And I'm M. Stacy. Remember, stay safe, stay curious, and share your stories.